Um, guys, it's wonderful to be here. And um, yeah, I always find it a, a privilege to be standing up here and to be sharing a word. And um, I speak for a living, and yet I find preaching so different that when I'm preaching, the day before, I'm just absolutely nowhere. Like, absolutely nowhere. I'm sure you all have those days too. Um, but I'm sure it's just because the devil knows what's coming, because he knows the work that actually goes into a preach. And so I'm actually going to pray first, because I need God um, to, to be here with us today. Well, he is. I need to acknowledge it. Yeah, so Jesus, thank you that in your presence there is freedom. And your presence is here, God. Thank you, Lord, that that we get to hold your hand today and to, to do this life with you. And, and I pray, Father, now that you, you would come in. That's cool, Jesus. <laughs> that you would come and open up our hearts and, um, yeah, and just allow the right words to, to seep in those that needed to for each of us, Lord. We know that you have something for each of us, Father God, today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's so cool. I love the train. Um, it is so hot in here. <laughs> we definitely need to invest in some fans. Um, cool, guys. I'm actually going to start. I'm speaking on God's faithfulness. Um, and it's a, it's a word that God actually gave to me. This always gets a bit interesting when I bring an enormous Bible. Um, but it's a word that God gave to me last November. Well, he didn't give it to me. It's something he was working on in me. And, and then when, um, when Matt asked me to preach in the series, which was sort of late November last year that they were planning the series, and um, I said, well, this is what God's teaching me at the moment. So he was like, well, that sounds amazing. Run with that. So I've had since November, so no pressure. <laughs> but it's more been what God's been doing in me, and I always love that because um, it's so cool when you stand up here, not as an expert. But I want to read to you a verse first before we get into sharing what's going to go up there. Um, I'm reading from Matthew 7, verse 13, and it says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few will ever find it. It's quite a hectic scripture. So in 2006, I like to sell stories. In 2006, I um, was in matric. You can work out my age now. And um, we, I was um, at our school, which was the centenary year. So like great excitement, obviously, in a matric year. And we had the privilege of climbing Kilimanjaro. And I want to give you sort of a rundown of this because I think that this can link so clearly with what we're going to look at today. So with climbing Kili, there are a few routes going up Kili that you can choose. So the route we did was the longest route. So it's seven days up and then one day down. That's how quick it is to come back down. Or maybe it was two days down, six days up. H is going to change my story. He's done it as well. <laughs> I'm going to make it sound good, babe. But I'm teasing. I think it's six days up, two days down. And then there's shorter routes, and the shorter route is called the Coca-Cola route. It's like four days, so three up. I mean, that's how quick it is to get up Kilimanjaro. Three days up and then one down. The problem with that route is that being a freestanding mountain, it's very quick to get up from the base, but you don't acclimatize then. And so what happens is that on the Coca-Cola route, only about 50% of people actually get to summit um, because your body hasn't been able to adjust. So it's quick, but you might not actually get there. 
And then there's this longer route, which is the one that we did. And it's literally like this. It is so frustrating. It's this freestanding mountain. And you sort of like go up and you start on this side and you go up a bit and then you come down and then you go up and then you come down. And you're sort of like cruising around the base of the mountain going up, experiencing that ugly feeling of your head feeling like it's going to explode with altitude. And then you come back down and sleep. And so you go around the mountain, literally right around. And then there's this final night when you all sit in your tent together and like a big tent, and it's about nine or, nine or so, ours was that night outside, excluding wind chills. So with wind chills, it's absolutely freezing, and you're camping, my worst nightmare, but you are obviously, and we're sitting there in this tent, and the wind is going, and the leader of our group says to us, there were 27 of us, and the leader says to us that, so obviously tomorrow's the summit, guys, you know, we're going to hit it, and we're going to leave at 12, down to about like six, seven at night. He's meaning 12 at night. <laughs> like, like in a few hours, we are going to leave. And the reason that they do that, they say, is because then the shale, because there's a lot of shale on the mountain, so you actually ski when you're coming down, but on your feet, because it's, it's so loose, the shale on the mountain. They say at night, it's a bit more compact. So you can get up, but I think there's also a little bit of sort of manipulation there. I think it just would be so overwhelming if you were looking up like this and, and it was light. Um, but the idea is they tell you about this point. And it's called Stellar Point. And when you're there, it's like the mountain suddenly is flat. And I don't know if anyone here has summited a mountain, any mountain, but it's often like that. It looks like it's this big point. But when you get to like the top, it's actually like a flat plateau. And this point, you want to make it for sunrise. That's like the big, the big moment, is to get to stellar point as the sun comes up and you now would be like above the whole world. I'm going to pause there and we're going to come back to the story. We are going to jump straight into Genesis, so we can put that up on the screen and I'm hoping that we're going to have the same um, version as mine, sorry. I put all these little markers in my Bible for today and then Sarah took them all out yesterday, so I've had to put them back in again. Um, cool. Genesis 12. Okay, so before you start reading, let me give you some background. This is so cool. So Abraham, okay, we all know Abraham. We're starting early in the Bible, so we're looking at Genesis 12. The last story before this is Noah. Everyone know Noah? Okay, so it's Noah, and then it goes on to like give, I don't know if anyone's seen those lists in the Bible. You usually skim over them when it says like, and this was the son of this, and the son of this, and then the son of this, and, and it's sort of like that generation didn't count, and then there was, <laughs> and you get the next person's name. This is one of those moments, okay? So we haven't followed the life of Abraham. We haven't followed how he was born or what happened or anything in his life. And then suddenly on the page, in my Bible at least, the page before this, it says like that whole long list of people and he died at 200 and he died at 207. And, so, and then it suddenly says the story of Abraham. And now we go in. And I'm going to read for mine and you can read there. The Lord had said to Abraham, Abraham, okay, at that point he hadn't changed his name. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. I'm going to pause there for a second. We've just jumped into Abraham's life and he's 75. I don't know if anyone knew that. I definitely didn't before I'd started studying this book. 
But God gives Abraham a promise. That's the first thing that we hear about this, this character, is that God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you famous. And then it says, Abraham departed. God gave Abraham a promise, and Abraham trusted the promiser enough that he actually allowed himself to seek out that promise. He trusted the promiser. We're going to keep reading. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abraham traveled through the land as far as Shechem. I'm making up the, the pronunciations. There he set up camp beside the oak of Moreh. At that time, the area was inhabited by um, Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give you this land to your descendants. I will give this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated to the Lord who had appeared to him. Again, Abraham listens to the promiser and trusts that promise. After that, Abraham traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord. Then he continued traveling south. And now we're going to jump in the Bible. So that was Abraham. No, it wasn't Abraham. That was Genesis 12. We're going to jump straight now to Genesis 21. Okay, so we're looking nine verses later. Well, not called verses. What are they called? Chapters. Hello. Nine chapters later. Okay? And I'm just going to read a short bit here, and it should um, come up on your screen. And then I'll chat. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named his son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who, all who hear about this will laugh with me. Guys, in the first verse that I read now, we said that Abraham was 20. No, he wasn't 25. He was 75. And here, when he gets the first taste of him becoming this nation, this promise that God had given him, he is 100. And in between those verses, between um, chapters, between literally between Genesis 12 and Genesis 21, and now that you're going to remember these because I've said them wrong so many times, I want you to go home and actually read the gap between what I've just said. Because what's incredible is that Abraham, in that moment, in chapter 12, said, I'm not just going to receive a promise. I'm going to trust the promiser that he is faithful. And because he did that, in those 25 years, we see that Abraham sees God again and again and again in his life. And I had this picture, and we were actually talking about this earlier this week, a friend who's here actually and I, about, um, now I don't play TV games or anything, I don't even know what the right word is these days, you can see, again, my age, but like TV game kind of things. But you know those programs where, I don't even know what they're supposed to be called, programs <laughs> that you play, and then you collect coins on the way before you get to like the next level, everyone know those ones. It's almost like Abraham gets to do that. 
It's like he's, he started this level and he knows that the promise is coming, that that next level is coming. But in the process, he gets to walk in God's will because he's trusting the promiser. And so whilst that exact promise is only fulfilled years later, and actually Abraham never fully sees that promise, it's actually for the generations to come, but he gets to witness and collect those coins. He gets to witness God's faithfulness again and again and again in the scriptures. I want to play devil's advocate here and say, imagine that Abraham hadn't trusted the promiser. Imagine God had said, Abraham, you're going to become a great nation. And Abraham had said, God, I'm 75. <laughs> like, I'm happy. My family's here. Everything's going well. You know, like one day when I'm ready, let's, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It wouldn't have made God less faithful. God would have remained faithful, but Abraham wouldn't have be able, been able to taste God's faithfulness. Us trusting God doesn't make God any less faithful. We just don't get to taste it for ourselves. We don't get to experience the goodness of God. And just listening to those songs, oh my gosh, JJ, we were on the same page. Um, I want to um, talk a bit about obedience, and this is where, where I'm going to take the sermon from here. So I don't know about you, the word obedience, when you hear that, obedience. I'm not sure if you, anyone's like me. I sort of like get like a, a bit of a cold sweat, which I'm, I'm having a hot sweat now. But, <laughs> but I get a cold sweat, and like the hairs on my arms stand up. I'm a rule-abiding person by nature. I like to, to sort of play by the rules, but don't tell me what to do. <laughs> And so when I hear this word obedience, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm not so sure it fits into my theology. And yet God's taught me so much about this. And um, what, when I was just studying and, and sort of um, getting into the word for this, I listened to a few sermons and I heard the coolest thing. And I'm hoping that for you, that this will be insight or as much insight as it was for me. So Old Testament, we know that the people that followed God, now remember they're not Christians, okay, because Jesus hasn't come. So these are Jews, and when they followed God, it was all about obedience. Okay, the whole of the Old Testament is like, if I listen to God, he won't strike me dead like he did everyone around Noah. If I, you know, if I listen to God, I'm good for this week, but then if I don't listen to him next week, oh my goodness, I hope that I can make this up very fast before he wipes out the next generation. It, this keeps happening, this like, I'm aware I need to be obedient. And I'm sure there was a, a probably a really healthy fear of God, maybe something that we've lost in New Testament times, but Old Testament was all about obedience, sort of scary, scary sort of obedience. And then, and a lot about proving yourself. And then we jump to the New Testament. And I want to give you this picture, and what I'm going to ask you to do now is to close your eyes with me, and if you heard me preach before, you'll know I always do this. Um, but, but what I feel like it does, and you can close your eyes now, is that those that are visual learners well, we'll get this because you can get the picture in your head and those that are auditory will get this because you've got no distraction. But I want you to imagine right now that you're standing on top of Kilimanjaro. How easy was that? <laughs> you're standing on the top and there was this narrow road that led up to here. And at the top, there was a gate, and like you had to like squeeze past to get in. It was, it was hard, hard work to get to the top. But now you're here, and you're looking out, and you're above the clouds. 
And picture it now. Picture yourself literally standing there, looking out, and you are above the clouds. You're on the highest freestanding mountain in Africa. And slowly the clouds begin to move away. And you start to see the world. But it looks so different from up there. It's like you've been given this whole new perspective of life. You can open your eyes. In the beginning, I read Matthew 7, and it said that there was this narrow road and this um, narrow gateway, you know, that led, well, it said, um, I have to actually find the scripture to, to read it to you correctly. Um, you can leave it there. I'm just going to hold. Thanks, love. Um, let's find it. It says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few will find it. I definitely had an incorrect theology before I started looking into this because somehow I'd believed that being a Christian was the narrow road. I thought that that was sort of what this had said, that like there was this narrow road and you became a Christian and then it was this hard, difficult, narrow road. But it doesn't say that. It says something so different. It says that there's a narrow road that leads to life and a narrow gateway and then it stops there. And what's so incredible about this in the New Testament is that that gateway is Jesus. That gateway is that moment when we say, okay, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Okay, I'll become a Christian. I'm going to take that step. I'm going to say that I believe that Jesus is God's son. And when that happens, it's like climbing that mountain and, and getting to that point where you are just before the top, and it was hard, and it was this narrow road, and it was hectic. And then you get there, and there's this narrow gate, and it's like you have to squeeze past. I mean, I can literally picture it, like past these rocks and like get in there. And then you get up there, and it's expansive, and it's wide, and you look down, and the world is your oyster. And guys, this is what God has for us. As New Testament believers, the road is not hard once we're in. The road is hard until we get there. And once you're there, God says, you now have access to everything I have put inside this book. Now, inside the Bible, I've got a nice big one, so it, even, it makes the point even, even better. <laughs> I've got my whole Bible here. Inside here are 7,700 promises for us, Old Testament and New Testament, 7,700 promises. And God says, as soon as you've walked, my husband's watching his watch, thinking at any moment she's going to break it. <laughs> um, God says at any, not at any moment, now I'm trying to say what I was saying. God says that once you've opened that gate, you have stepped into all of that. Every single promise that he has given in that Bible, you now have access to. And so when you stand at the top there, um, we actually watched a movie last week with our kids. Um, what was it called again? Encanto. And it's beautiful, but it's not out yet. So he said, I mustn't tell the story in, <laughs> in church. <laughs> um, but I did. It's called Encanto and it's beautiful. And when it comes out, you should all watch it. And what happens 
is they've got this house and then there are these like secret doors and for each child and that door lights up at a certain time in your life and then when you open there are a few nods, you guys are naughty too. <laughs> and as you open that door, you step into your gifting, that's how the movie works, and so your gift is revealed to you. And there's the one child that steps in and it opens up and now they're in a house, so you feel like it's this small place. But they open up this door, and he steps in, and it is this enormous, like, rainforest with, like, tree houses, and he's, there's a hammock for him to sleep in. And this is, like, where his bedroom is. So he'll live in, like, his house with his family and then go off to his bedroom, and then there's just this, like, enormous rainforest full of beautiful animals and sleeps in a tree house and so on. And I felt like that was the most beautiful picture of what God has for us as Christians. That once we've opened that door, we have no idea what we have access to with God. I want to tell you a story that I'm hoping is going to help to make this uh, make a bit more sense for you. So in November last year, I preached here on peace. And I don't know if anyone remembers at the end, but Matt prayed for me because I was about to go and share the same word, but at a lot of churches sort of all over um, South Africa. And I went off two days after preaching here, and I flew to Cape Town, and I was speaking at Common Ground Church to a very big audience of women, and sharing the exact same word that I just shared here. And so I had all my notes written out in my book, and I don't ever write out a full sermon. I do sort of a bullet point kind of thing, but I know it obviously fits under each bullet point. And I had my notes written out, and I felt that it was straight from God. I was like, this is the message I need to give. It's a message that he'd been teaching me on and one that I was now going to, you know, share. So I fly there and I land at like half past nine and I'm going to go onto their stage at half past 10. So I've got like an hour, but then I have to get my bag and I did check in a bag because I'd taken lots of books with me. And so I get my bag and then I get into the Uber and then I put it into Google Maps and Rhonda Bosch is like right there, except it's not in Cape Town because then there's traffic. And it says like predicted arrival quarter past 10. Now I know I'm going to literally like fly into that door and meet these people for the first time and then be, you know, told to go onto stage. And I'm sitting in the car and I put on, change my shoes, put on heels, put on makeup, literally, and I don't have a mirror, so I was using my cell phone, put on makeup quickly, and then I open up my notes. Now I know this word so well, and yet I hit this moment of like, I'm going to need to prove myself, I'm getting sweaty, kind of like, what if they don't like me? And so this is what I do. So I in the moment, all I do is I add two little arrows. I do lots of arrows if you were to look at my page, like bullet points almost. And I add in two stories that in my motivational speaking, I know are just such goodies. And I'm like, if I just tell those two stories, now they've got nothing to do with God. But if I tell those two stories, they'll love me. I mean, then, you know, then, then we're good. So I add one at the beginning and one near the end, and it links perfectly with the points that I've made. But I also kind of feel like it gives me a bit of a boost. And I get there. And I go in and you go into like a little green room before. It's like proper stuff, this. And then I go through. And we have a beautiful worship time. And there are about 200 or so women in the hall. And they've all come just for this. And I go up and you're on a stage, but like, like you know, like that high kind of thing. And everyone's, they're not as COVID non um, COVID chilled as we are <laughs> and so they separate their chairs by about seven meters and so the hall is just like people you know like right out and again obviously I'm feeling that same insecurity and I get up there and I do my my sermon my talk whatever it is with my two stories and for me it just fell flat 
and I, and I sort of like went down at the end and like everyone was so encouraging and like everyone supposedly had loved it. But you know when you just have that feeling of like, oh my word, that just, that just didn't go how it was supposed to go. And I sat at the end with one of their elders and she just said, you know, maybe with the ministry time we can change this. And, you know, she didn't change anything. Obviously, she's not going to change your sort of word that you're giving. Because, sorry, because I was speaking again that night to a bigger audience in the same hall. And anyway, I walk away, and the next day, Summer still gets the night, the next day my cousin and I go for a hike, and she says to me how she was there in the morning service, and she said it just blew her mind how God met her through the word that I'd given, and how it had like impacted her marriage already. And I couldn't believe, number one, God's faithfulness, because he is faithful to his will, not ours. He is faithful to his promises, not ours, and so he still met his people even though I maybe messed it up a little bit, they didn't know. But the evening came, and I didn't spend the afternoon praying, and I didn't spend the afternoon studying the Word or doing anything over-spiritual. All I did was I got there, and I thought, I'm going to remove those two stories. (laughs) And I removed the bit of me that had come in from things that were not God's promises about me, the things that were brought in by insecurity, And guys, I cannot tell you what a different experience it was for me. I cannot tell you how God showed up in that place. And was he more faithful? No, because he is always faithful. But I got to be a part of his faithfulness. And that is the New Testament. You are no longer called to obey God as your judge or as your master. Instead, God stands at the top of Kilimanjaro and he know that song <laughs> top five kilometers I'm not going to sing it for you <laughs> and and he literally puts his hand down and he says I'm no longer going to give you instructions while you're on the hard road like they lived in the old testament instead he says I'm faithful and you've seen this through the word and we're going to sing a song now and we're going to look back on our lives and see his faithfulness and remember it and then he says But once you are saved, once you have become a Christian, I'm literally going to grab your hand and pull you up. And I'm going to say, now we co-labor. Now we're a team. Now everything that's down there, every promise, all 7,700 promises in the Bible are for you. And I'm no longer going to say that I'm going to wipe you out if you don't, you know, whatever. Do this or do that. Instead, he's like, it was Jesus. Jesus. Jesus did everything. Now you get to be part of this picture. And we often pray and ask God, like, tell me what your will is. You know, I want to know your will for my life. He has given us 7,700 promises. And they're not promises like, don't go home and try and look up promise because it doesn't say, I promise to, da, 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 da. They are just these statements in the word made by Jesus or made by God. And because he is faithful to his word and because his word will will never return void, he is faithful to every statement that he makes to you. Every statement in there is for you. But unless we cling to those, unless we say, how do I make this promise a part of my life? We will never step into that will because his will for our life is to walk in his promises And as we walk in his promises, just like Abraham did, as you walk towards that promise and in that promise, you will start collecting those gold coins and you will be like, oh my word, that just felt so right. Because it is so right, because that's who he made you to be. 
The promise, guys, are things like, and I said this to them before, I should have written down some promises because watch me stand up here and not remember one. Um, but promises like, I will never leave you nor forsake you, it sounds so like, oh, cool, yeah, you'll never leave me. But if we could pull that into our own lives, what would look different? Promises like, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and you will know that I'm God. What would our lives look like differently if we took hold of that promise and said, I want to know God, or I want to know me better, so I need to know God because I'm made in his image, so I need to be still. That's what he's calling me to. I wrote down one that did resonate with me. So in terms of my common ground story, um, and they, they didn't know the story, that the one went well and the one didn't. Um, but for me, it was so different. And what I took out from that moment was I got back here and I said that my word for this year is going to be obedience. I want to know the word and I want to trust the word and I want to walk in what the word says. And I want to try and bring in as little of me. And it's not saying deny yourself. Gosh, God made you very intentionally. He wouldn't have made you like you if he didn't want all of you. So he wants all of that. It's not about denial, but I want to walk in this. I want to know that when he says the promises that he has good plans for me, that when he gives me ideas, that I'm going to listen to that and I'm not going to pull in little arrogant stories to give me a little sort of nudge up, thinking I'll get more of a kick from it than I actually did. I want to know that from Psalm 138 verse 8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose in me. That is a promise as you trust him and as you know him, he will fulfill his purpose for you. You will know his will as you live by the promises and in the promises that he has for you. And guys, it's not to walk in all 7,700. I mean, that would be cool. But I think for now, and where I want to take us now, is, is to ask God, each of us, what he has for us. What is the promise? And you might not know it offhand. You might not sit here like I couldn't and just think up a, a verse that was a promise. You might need to go home and, and go to the back of your Bible and start looking up words that actually resonate with you in this season that you feel like you're in. You might need to go back to old journals. You might need to, whatever, come up and pray with us now. Come to the prophetic evening, gosh, on Thursday nights and, and see what God's speaking to you in this season and then start acting on that promise and ask yourself, if I believe this, like Abraham, if I trust the promiser who is faithful, if I trust him, what will I do differently? What will my self-talk look like? How will you speak to yourself if that were to be true? How would you go about this meeting differently if you knew that there was nothing to be afraid of? How would you mother differently? How would you whatever it is differently if we are living by and in his promises? Guys, as you stand on that mountaintop, and we're going to close now, and I don't even know where we are. I can't see Hendrix's watch. I think we're good. Um, the screen's black. <laughs> um, but, but as we stand on that mountain, know that that door that led there, and if you haven't walked through that door, we're going to walk you through a process now. But know that when, when you've walked through that door, that you can stand on that mountaintop and that nothing about what you've done in this past week, year, lifetime actually matters. None of that. None of that matters. Jesus is just like, you're now, you're now part of this. You're now part of this team. 
And I'm calling you into these promises because I want to work with you and I want to change this world and I want you to be as full and to live the abundant life that I have for you because you're on this mountaintop and you can have the greatest confidence in him because he's confident in you. He's confident in you. We're going to close our eyes, guys, if everyone can. I'm sure that God stirred something up inside of you today. And what's crazy is it will be so different to the person that's next to you. Because he loves you for who you are. And he knows what you needed today. And before we go any further, we, we want to give you a chance. If, if you felt like you were sitting here and you feel like you were you're still on that sort of narrow road and, and you feel like you haven't just taken that step just yet of saying like, okay, God, I want to step onto that mountaintop with you. I want to I give my life to you and, um, and claim the blood of Jesus over my life. Then just with our eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity to, to put your hand up now and it's going to take courage Mostly because you want this to end. I see that hand. I see that hand. And I'm just going to pray with you now, and I want you to repeat this prayer. You can put your hands down, and you can just repeat this. Actually, we're all going to repeat this. Everyone can repeat this after me, and those that are saying this for the first time, this is so beautiful. You can repeat after me. Father God, I accept you today as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for Jesus, your son. Thank you that I'm forgiven and I'm made whole in you. And I welcome in your spirit now. Amen. And everyone else, you can keep your eyes closed. I want you to get that picture into your mind again of standing on a mountaintop. And as you look down, I want you to imagine that picture that I told you about that rainforest, but I want you to find for yourself, what's like the most expansive, just beautiful view that you could see? I want you to picture that right now, that you're standing on this mountain and you are looking down the most expansive, exquisite scene. And that Jesus comes up and he just holds your hand. And much like the Lion King, he says... I want, to, I want to go back down there with you. I've made promises to you, and, and they don't exclude hard things. But I will be with you, and I promise that I will never leave you. I 
And I want you to try and bring to mind now, just as we are going to sing a song about God's faithfulness that we sang earlier, and as we close with this song, I want you to, to try and bring to mind and ask God to help you bring to mind where he has been faithful in your past, where you've seen him come through for you, where you've seen his goodness, where you've tasted his goodness. And then I want you to declare, stepping into his promises and ask him to reveal what those promises are for you, where he can be faithful and, and where, where he can show himself faithful on your behalf. And we know it doesn't add to his faithfulness, but gosh, what a privilege to be a part of that. And before we, we go into the song, I just want to say that there will be a, a team up here at the end. Um, and for those who did give your life, um, please feel free to come up. We would so love to pray for you. Um, you can come up now even during the song if you wanted. And anyone else, we are here and, um, and it would be an honor to, to pray with you. There are men and ladies that will be here. So yeah, JJ, thank you.